0: How much time do you spend thinking about your dream bike?
1: The dream bike survey is in, and it clearly states that we are obsessed. 20%
0: think of their dream bike every day.
1: And how about this for a dream? The love boat, bikes, and a fabulous island in the Mediterranean. We would get up in the morning, have breakfast, head out for a ride, and then
2: we would do a point-to-point ride, leaving one port and riding to another.
1: Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Unless, of course, we're talking about Peter Sagan, then we are on one. That would be a wheelie reference, of course. Uh, it's amazing season for sure, and uh, unbelievable. Like the World Championships and Moske uh, also now. It's, uh, yeah, like <laughs> yeah, Pete Flanders, the green jersey, the rainbow jersey again, and you know what our favorite Slovakian all chalk this up to luck. Wrapping up a season in Japan, Sagan said he just ran into better luck than the others. Fatty of fatcyclist.com, Patrick Brady of com. two of the luckiest guys I know. I am Michael Houghton. Good to have you guys along. Um, guys, they announced, by the way, Peter Sagan coming to California again for the tour of California. Announced that the race route just here recently. And good news for the women, guys uh, the women will actually get the spotlight to themselves. They will race. Thursday, May 11th through Sunday, May 14th uh, for the tour of California. Uh, and then on May 14th is when the men start. So the two, the men and women's races will each have their own separate coverage and spotlight. And cool thing. Glad to see that the women will be uh, racing uh, on their own and do their own thing and get all the attention which they deserve. The Pay Sign is our little show found on RKP, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music. So on and so forth, Fatty. You and I had this thing to ourselves last time, but now we are back to to sharing the spotlight.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure that I want to. I'm, I'm kinda... <laughs> if Mr. well, we don't have to. If Mr. we can
1: start, let let's start this show off by talking about you. Oh, excellent! And let's talk about
0: nothing but me the entire show.
1: <laughs> How about Hundred Miles of Nowhere, which was about you? Actually, is a very good program that you set up that you created. That you executed, that you rode. Tell what happened with your 100 miles of nowhere, and we'll get to that other guy in a second.
0: Yeah, let's do. So, my 100 miles of nowhere was to uh, ride the uh, Cascade Springs climb and back uh, seven times. Uh, it's about a just under a 15 mile loop. Uh, well, it's not a loop; it's an out and back uh, with around 2,500 feet of climbing per try. And when average or and when corrected by Strava, it showed that I did eighteen thousand one hundred and fifty feet of climbing in a hundred miles in a century. So Ooh. I'm pretty proud of that. Even more proud of the fact that both my wife and my stepdaughter also did it. And toward the end, the hammer showing uh what an amazing second halfer she is, uh pretty much uh just rode me off her wheel. So I spent the first half of the race with my stepdaughter riding me off her wheel, the second half with my wife riding me off her wheel, and the entire time feeling like maybe it's time for me to get back on my diet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I suppose there's a way to figure out the average gradient then. Right? Because it's 100 miles and 18,000 feet. I think it's about so 5% it's, is what it averages. Yeah, rise out over run too. or run over rise, yeah. I think is the math is how you do that. Yeah, About the cl- 5% is the average?
0: Yeah, 5%. But that doesn't take into account the descending. But yeah, between all the climbing, it averages to around 5%. Hmm,
1: that's cool. And this collectively was going on with with other participants at the same time. I had to
0: do mine a little bit early, and that's one of the nice things about the hundred miles of nowhere. It's also five uh, or the hundred miles of whenever. Um, <laughs> so the uh, the official weekend is November eleventh uh, and twelfth. Uh, I have other things that I have to be doing, so I did mine now and had just a fantastic autumn day. uh, We managed to get the whole thing in in daylight just barely from about 7.40 in the morning to about 6.15 in the evening. And uh, it was light the whole time, but if we would have done one more lap or had been any slower, uh, we would have been facing sunset and maybe having to ride with lights, which would have been a problem Er because we didn't
1: bring lights. Yeah, kind of like early voting then. You've already you've done your absentee voting. And it, this all goes to a good cause.
0: Yep, goes to Camp Kesem, which is a fantastic organization that provides free week-long camps for kids whose parents uh either have been or currently are fighting cancer. So it gives them a chance to kind of get a a break from the uh the scariness and the sadness and the uh, general, just fear that comes along with a parent uh, in a place where that they don't necessarily understand and can't do anything about.
1: Mm-hmm. Eighteen thousand feet in a, a single ride—is that your best? That is, is that the most, most climbing. Highest?
0: Yeah, yeah, that is the most climbing that I've ever done in a single ride, um, mm-hmm. and certainly in a century. How about you guys?
1: Yeah, Patrick, I know that you've done—you've knocked out some some big ones here in the Sierras. Yeah. Uh,
2: so, I mean, I've done the Markleyville Death Ride and, you know, a few other big ones. But the biggest I've done uh, was an event uh, that was initially called the Son of the Death Ride and then re- got renamed to the Ride of the Immortals. <laughs> and uh was 139 miles um, and climbed uh, more than 19,000 feet. I, I attempted it twice, finished it once. Uh, you edged first me time. out. Yeah, um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not I'm not actually thrilled about that. Um, I I attempted it once and didn't finish. And that day, for whatever reason, my GPS said I'd climbed something like twenty one thousand feet. Um, and then the other time I tried it, I got I did finish and I got like nineteen thousand feet, even though it was the same exact roads. Uh, mm-hmm. It was just run in the uh, opposite direction. Um, so. The first time you started near Lake Isabella, Um, this is the Southern Sierra, Um, you know, sort of nearish Bakersfield in a way, sort of, Um, the Kern River Valley, and you climb up over Sherman Pass, uh, completely cross the Sierra, drop down the other side to the 395, turn around, come back, Um, and uh, it's... That's the most brutal road ride I've done in my life.
1: Wow. Yeah. And I was going I was going to say I didn't know, but now I do because I've done that ride. I did the the version where we started on the 395 side, went over to the Kern River, turned around and came back. Right. Hmm. Right. And I did it with you. Yep. But you and were probably so delirious, you don't remember.
2: No, I remember that. <laughs> I remember being dropped by everyone. Yeah, no, I I do remember that. Yeah,
1: I also We ended up with we ended up with riders on the Yeah, we ended up with uh, some of the participants on the top of Sherman Pass shivering and needing blankets. Um, There was a crash the day we did it, too, on the descent going back to the 395. So that's what that kind of climbing can do to you. It's not just hard on the legs. It's hard on everything. Yeah. Well, and that's why it
2: was flipped the other way. Um, You know, I mean, it was tough enough being at the top of Sherman Pass. What was that? 91, 9,200 feet uh, in the middle of the day. Try being there, you know, near sunset. Um, and that's the whole reason I didn't finish, was I didn't get to Sherman Pass before the sun went down. Um, mm-hmm. It was flipping cold. Oh, my gosh. Uh, anyway, yep. this is about 100 miles of nowhere. Um, so, Fatty, this was just one road. You'd go out, get mm-hmm. to the top, turn around, come back.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah, the nice thing about uh, the Cascade Springs Road, as far as I'm concerned, is Cascade Springs is a park. It's a a, a natural aquifer that uh, has that lets out in a, a, ca- causing a spring that comes just out of the ground and has beautiful little waterfalls and so forth. It's a semi-popular attraction, but it is a destination, meaning that it is a dead end. The only reason to take this seven-mile road is to go to Cascade Springs. And this time of the year, people aren't really going to it because, you know, it's uh, the the leaves have fallen, and it's just not as, you know, not as awesome looking. And so we had a, a decent wide road, seven miles in a beautiful mountain setting that was essentially unused. Um, there were, we did discover it, and I hadn't thought about it, a lot of hunters out, uh, many who were very friendly, a couple of who were not very friendly, but, you know, uh, never any kind of danger or anything like that. And I love this particular road because it is um, starting from Cascade Springs, it is a three mile climb and then a mile of descending, and then a three mile climb up to the Alpine Loop Summit. Um, and the Alpine Loop Summit's always one of the features of the Queen stage in the uh, in the uh, tour of Utah. Um, anyway, so this is a you know, so it's a pretty popular climb. It's 8,000 feet. And then you turn around, come back down, and, uh, you know, so you did about 20 or 2,000 feet of climbing on the way up, and you do another 500 feet of climbing on the way down because you have that mile in the middle of your descent where you're climbing again. So you're picking up climbing in both directions, and, you know, in the middle of your climb, you get a little break for a mile. In the middle of your descent, you get a chance to warm up, which is good because this is... The day was pretty cool. I... Um, I, w- I wore a long sleeve jersey the whole day. I didn't plan to. I just forgot to bring a short sleeve jersey, but as it turns out, it was long sleeve jersey the weather the whole day. So fantastic day. Great to be with uh, a couple of incredibly strong uh, women riders who showed me who's boss and I am not that boss, but you know, still managed to pull it out. And I did this all on my uh, felt cross bike, um, I should say. Uh, with 38 uh, millimeter tires inflated at 50 and 55 psi,
2: were these knobby tires or pretty no, no. smooth?
0: These were smooth. Um, okay. Yeah, set it up. Uh, set it up for road with road uh, road pedals, and um, it just this is pretty rough chip seal. You know, it's it's not made. Uh, this is not a smooth tarmac road. This is pretty rough with a lot of cracks in it, and I was you know. descending was confident and fast and great and climbing was remarkably smooth. I mean, I don't think I've ever done this climb before without feeling a little bit rattled just because it is, I mean, there's variations in chip seal and this is on the rough (laughs) end, (laughs) but, um, but I, but it was great. So I am, uh, I am really more and more all the time being pulled over into the, uh, wider, lower-pressure tire thinking.
2: Cool. Uh, one, one other little question about this. I mean, like, what sort of top speeds were you hitting on this descent?
0: Uh, I think I showed a top uh, speed descent of around 47.
2: Oh, okay. Wow. Hey, that's quite a compliment for a cross bike. To feel good on a descent on a cross bike at that kind of speed is unusual.
0: It, and I felt totally stable. It felt it felt great. Um, I, I never felt like I was starting to get twitchy or anything like that. Um, the what limited my speed um, is uh, my gearing. Um, I have the Force uh, uh, the Force CX uh, mm-hmm. drivetrain on it, and so I I spun out very early. And it wasn't the kind of day when I was getting into a super tight tuck anyway. You know, you're, you, 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 I, I was just, you know, I, it was a day of endurance, 100%. Right. So I wasn't worried about ever getting low. And so I was, um, you know, just bombing, having fun, uh, just enjoying the the break from the climbing. Just a fun wow. day. Fun day, hard day. And between the three of us, I think we ate uh, a dozen uh, bear claws. <laughs> <laughs> nice.
1: Three bears worth. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, like wow. I said, Fatty, it was just you and I last week, and we did have a little fun last week um, with the TV theme song due to the absence of our third wheel. Soon we'll be making another yeah, run. yeah, now, Fatty, you and I kind of struggled with I, the cast of The Love Boat. Um... We were trying to come up with uh, Julie and the captain's daughter. Well, we got a correction from Tallman Albany, one of our listeners. He said, "Hey, Julie McCoy was the cruise director, not the captain's daughter or anything. Anyway, the captain's daughter was Vicky, as you'll remember."
0: No, it was Julie Vicky. who I thought was hot.
1: Yeah, you like Julie, was. but yeah. the, 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 I think Vicky replaced
0: of, Julie, right? I mean, when no. No, Julie she had- was a
2: sidekick. She was okay. a sidekick initially and then became a regular cast member. That I remember this is way embarrassing.
1: I was just uh, going to say, I can't believe you remember this. I was 12. And the captain was Captain Steubing, and there was Isaac and Doc and Gopher, right? That's, yeah. That kind of rounds out the cast. Yeah.
0: Zsa, Zsa. But Zsa. But I Vicky think Jaja was, was practically a cast member. We want to thank
1: Tom and Albany for for reminding us that it was Vicky who was the captain's daughter, yeah. and Julie McCoy was the cruise director, which gets us to our world traveler and well, part-time cruise director, Patrick Brady. We understand, uh, Patrick, your suitcase was recently packed with Lycra and Tommy Bahama shirts. What gives, man, and, and where were you?
2: Uh, I was in Corsica. Uh, this was a cruise put on by Santana Adventure uh and we left uh the port uh what is it Fiumicino uh no that's the airport uh Civitavecchia uh that's the port near Rome uh we left there went to the island of Elba did one l- quick loop around Elba for our first full day ride and then uh i would say steamed but this was not a steam type ship uh we then sailed uh though there were no sails involved we, we, our ship then took us um, on to Corsica where we uh ringed the island and uh basically the deal was that we would get up in the morning, have breakfast, head out for a ride, and then we would do a point-to-point ride, leaving one port and riding to another and then doing that ride, usually kind of up through the mountains. There would be five or six variants. Some people would take a bus part way. Some people would ride the whole thing. Some people would uh, ride a shorter version of the ride with less climbing. There were all sorts of options out there. Um, I'd say the average age of cruise participants with this bunch was maybe Um, 60-ish. I was certainly on the young side. It It is even possible that I was the youngest person there. Um, but yeah, we, we went around Corsica and, uh, rode, I don't know, 300 ish miles in a week. Um, so, you know, a pretty reasonable week of riding, but no one day was terribly long. Uh, usually got to have lunch out on the road and interact with locals to some degree. And, uh, I'll say that I think i had the single finest salad of my entire life in a town <laughs> that had only one restaurant in it
1: <laughs> yeah it is there a lot of climbing on corsica
2: there can be you know you can stay down on the coast and not do a whole lot of climbing but you can go up into the mountains there's one pass that's i don't know 4500 4800 ish feet i didn't get to do that um you know, I really decided that I was going to kind of stay with other people in the group and ride with them. Everybody, well, almost everyone, not quite everyone, but most of the participants were on tandems. Uh, so there were lots and lots and lots and lots of couples on this trip. Mm Um, I think I may have been the only person there without their spouse. Um, so awkward, but, uh, everyone was really cool. Um, bumped into, a uh, a Southern California rider who, if I was still down there, I would probably be teammates with. Uh, so, uh, yeah, a guy from Big Orange, and uh, oh, okay. yeah, um, not somebody who was, you know, I was interacting with on on group rides while I was still there. Um, so we just never had a chance to cross paths. Um, relatively new, yeah. but he and his wife were absolute delights. Um, yeah, and just it was a really remarkable tour. Uh, Corsica, this place ought to be total bucket list for cyclists. I can't even tell you how well, good... Well, what's the, the riding,
1: riding like? Is, is it like Mallorca? Is it like any other place you've been? Well,
2: I haven't been to Mallorca, so I can't say. What I can tell you is that it's it's like the Côte d'Azur in that you've got a lot of corniche, that is, roads that are carved out of, of you know, bits of limestone, you know, just carved into the rock um, and uh-huh. overhanging cliffs, and, you know, you've got all these mountain roads, and the grades are typically 4 5%. Um, there were a couple of spots we hit that, you know, got kind of steep. Um, one, uh, the drop into Bastia was uh, rather unceremoniously steep after being a nice 4 or 5% cruise. I hit this edge, and suddenly it was like 14%. Um, just total bombs away, scared the hell out of me because it was so, so sudden. Um, but, uh, mostly the roads, you know, uh, gentle grades, um, well radiused, uh, mostly really good surfaces, um, some rougher stuff. I was riding 28 millimeter tires, you know, felt really good throughout the views. Oh my gosh. Uh, really just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, so many times, you know, we were, you know, easily within sight of the coast. And so you're, you know, looking down on these towns below you sitting on the coastline, uh, or sometimes, you know, the Corniche that we'd be riding, you know, we, it would be, you know, the rock wall at the edge of the road. And then, you know, just air straight down to the water, um, Mm -hmm.
1: It, it so was, what what was uh, what was the salad? Get to the salad now. You you played up the salad. What's
2: the salad? <laughs> uh, the salad was a um, a uh show. So uh, a hot goat cheese, and not hot, yeah. but warmed, and it was on yeah. little pieces of toast. They were, I don't know, uh, an inch and a half or two inches square, and uh, they were piled on top of uh, just you know a, a, a bed of lettuce. And there were uh, sliced chestnuts um, and little pieces of, of bacon. Uh, and then the whole thing was walled in by an entire sliced tomato, which was exactly ripe. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, a light uh, – the, the, the toast had been um, hit with a little bit of honey uh, for a little sweetness. And then the, uh, the dressing on the salad was a very light vinaigrette. Um, they didn't use too much of it, um, you know, just enough to add a little flavor. And this thing was just an absolute riot of, you know, different sensations. You know, you had the crunchy of, uh, of the nuts, uh, you know, the chestnuts, you had, you know, the savory that was coming from the cheese and the bacon and the, the salad dressing. Um, you know, you had these earthy notes from the lettuce, you had, you know, the sweetness of the tomatoes all that together. It was absolutely incredible. Um, okay.
1: you're, you're a bike reviewer. That's enough food review now. Let's okay. get you back to your normal thing. Okay. What <laughs> kind of bike did you take? Uh, I took my seven Earhart, so. ah, that would, that would Now,
2: did the boat move around yeah. the island or did it stay? Yeah, well? it did. no. I good? mean, that was the thing. So it would move during the day as we were riding onto another port, and then we'd get everybody loaded on, and then we'd steam off for another port. There was... Hmm. There was either one or two occasions where we overnighted someplace and we started our ride the next morning exactly where we'd finished. So okay. it was just a floating hotel, but uh, our breakfasts and dinners were there on the ship um, and there were the food was plentiful. So, you know, if you if you bonked out on the road, um, you had really kind of screwed up pretty big time. Um, <laughs> but the, the breakfasts, yeah, were dynamite. I was having yeah. omelets and. Uh, you know, croissants and little pan of chocolat, um, lots of juice, there was plenty of fruit, so it was easy mm-hmm. to fuel up, you know, exactly as you needed before heading out for the ride. Mm-hmm. You know, you could get a little something for lunch or just have some snacks out on the road and then, you know, ride on into the finish and then the, the ship staff would have uh, some snacks there um, in the, there was kind of a lounge ballroom sort of Type of loungy sort of place, and they would have snacks there uh, waiting for us when we came in. Um, they had real Coca Cola, so you know my two favorite nice. stimulants together. Yeah. yeah, it was. How about
1: shuffleboard? Did you get any shuffleboard in?
2: Nope, no shuffleboard. <laughs> and <laughs> no and shuffleboard. the French, I'm I'm dismayed to learn when they do a jacuzzi or whirlpool type tub, they do not heat the water. Ew. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And so there were <laughs> there were two ginormous, you know, jacuzzi style tubs up on the upper deck and they were closed because they don't heat the water and it was too cold outside to get in cold water while you're busy sailing around and, you know, I mean, in the evenings it was getting down into the 50s, you know, so it's like I, I wanted hot water and we asked, well, can't they just heat it? So, well, there's no provision for that. So awesome! Get to what an it.
1: awesome trip. Good. We look forward to pictures and text. Yep, and everything else you can bring us on RKP. Interesting, neat trip. And uh, man, you you were the young. You you, you rounded out the young demographic. <laughs> cool. I, like, I like the sound. I like was that. the
2: closest thing to a millennial there, except for some <laughs> of the ship staff. Yeah. Also, uh, uh, in addition to the coverage that will be on RKP, there will uh, be a piece. In Dirt Rags' sister publication, Bicycle Times, so you can you can watch for a feature there as well.
1: Cool. All guys, coming up: uh, the bikes of our dreams. Fatty has a result of a survey, and we pretend to analyze the data. That's next on the pace line. Good morning, Captain. Good morning, Captain.
2: For you, maybe will you get a haircut? Yes, sir.
1: Is it my imagination or is Captain Stubing in a rotten mood? He's in a rotten mood, but I think I know the reason. Aubrey and Mrs. Scogstead? Yeah, he's one of the directors of the ship's line. They're sailing with us today. The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels, Fatty Fatcyclist.com, Patrick Brady, RedKitePrayer.com, back from Corsica. Very good story there, Patrick, about your trip to what sounds like a wonderful island and some good eating and no shuffleboard, though. So we're a little disappointed in you. Put on the cruise wear, buddy. Get out there and and enjoy yourself with Captain Stubing. (laughs) And he lost Um, weight. That's one thing Eddie lost weight. How does that happen on a cruise? Everyone just pigs out on shrimp, don't they? Means he did it wrong. <laughs>
2: well, I do I wrong. decided I was gonna restrict my alcohol intake so that I could lose a
1: few pounds. Boom. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I had all the desserts.
1: <laughs> uh, we're going to get to uh, the the dream bike survey in just a second. I did want to bring up one um, point, and we've covered this quite a bit. Uh, that's Consumer Direct. Colnago is the latest to start selling bikes online. Consumer Direct, but the company is only selling back stock on its website and only through dealers. Trek and Giant were the first two biggies to go consumer direct. Canyon of Germany has been the European leader selling bikes on their website. Now Colnago, if your dream bike is a Colnago. Um, you might be able to find a you know previous model, last year's model on their website, but again, you'll have to go through one of their dealers uh, to complete the transaction. Now, Fatty, you have been conducting a dream bike survey on both FatCyclist.com and RedKitePrayer.com. First, what were your intentions with this? Fill us in.
0: Well, my intentions were strictly trivial, um, and <laughs> to see whether <laughs> other cyclists think about bikes and their dream bikes as much as I do. I I had uh the question, you know, do other do other cyclists obsess over what their next bike or their dream bike is going to be <laughs> as often and to the same degree and with as much hand-wringing and uh mind-changing as I do. And so I Thought well, I'll put together a survey and ask. And fourteen hundred people, as of this morning when we're recording it, literally one four zero zero people have replied to this survey, and that tells you something right there <laughs> that that many people yeah. were interested and at least think about Dream Bikes enough that they're they're like, yeah, sure, I'll burn a minute and answer your questions. So I'm going to go through some of these results and. I'd be interested to see what your answers would be or what you think of some of these. So first of all, the my original question, how much time do you spend thinking about your dream bike? And 34.5% think of their bike at least every week or so. 20% think of their dream bike every day. 13% um, uh, well, actually, no. So 19 and 13% respectively for every day or two, or at least every day. So, you know, it, pretty often. And then there are the people who are like me, and I'm curious if it's kind of like you guys. 9% think of their dream bike multiple times per day. How about that? <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. but, what know, an so, obsessed bush. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, I mean, the biggest number is every week or so. You know, more about a third of us think of it that often, but the rest think of our dream bikes, and it comes to and it comes to about half of us think of our bikes. You know, every week or more often. Crazy. Well, I always
1: think of my bikes. I mean, I'm always thinking about my. Yeah, bikes. Yeah, yeah. But I'm. Uh, I'm but, talking about your dream, a dream bike, bike yeah. or the next bike doesn't come up quite as often until I get upset with one of the bikes in the garage and then i go you have to go sir Mm -hmm. and i'm going to start thinking about another yeah that that's when that's when i would jump into that nine percent otherwise i'm laying back there in the you know a couple times a week
0: yeah and your age actually has something to do with that as well um of whether you're going to get rid of your next get rid of a bike in order to get your next bike we'll talk about that in a second so the next question I asked is, how soon do you think you're going to get your dream bike? And sadly, about 19% of you said that you never will, and that's because it's too expensive. Um, but a lot. Of, uh, what was nice to see is about 9% of you are thinking in a year or less, and 20% of you are thinking between one and three years from now. So. You're not just dreaming idly about these dreams. You are thinking about these uh, dream bikes with intent, and that's kind of cool. They're I know plotting. that. I, yeah, yeah, plotting. Um, I, I can say that my dream bike, which uh, you know shifts and morphs and ch- <laughs> changes constantly, yeah. but I would say that um, you know, with the money that I am saving and the work that I am doing and you know the connections I am building. I think that I'm going to have my next dream bike. I would say probably within a year, a year to a year and a half. How about you guys?
2: Ooh, I'm not sure that my next dream bike really exists. What? Uh,
0: That's absurd. <laughs> you I, made
2: you made me exclaim. <laughs> um, I expect that the. 3T Exploro is pretty close to it. Um, I'd want a few things that are slightly different from what that bike is. I mean, carbon, mm-hmm. aero, um, you know, that that part fits, um, but I'd like a low bottom bracket. I'd like a custom fit. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm also a little bit concerned about durability. Not hugely, but a little bit. Um I mean, it's possible that if I just went with a 7 Evergreen and then built that up the way I wanted, that might potentially be my total dream bike. Um, I mean, See, I, I'm always kind of thinking about what it is that will fit my needs, my my riding desires. Mm-hmm. And
0: so you fit in my next question, which is, why don't you have your dream bike already? And about 10% in which you obviously are is – This bike does not currently exist in the real universe. That you have sort of a checklist of what would make a perfect bike, and your tastes are so refined that it's that you uh sort of occupy a place that is not quite there in what the manufacturers are making yet.
2: Yeah. Yeah, me shallow end of the bell curve. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but f- the 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 reason that most people, or the 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 largest minority of people, I should say, forty one percent, the reason they don't have their dream bike already is they can't afford it. With another nineteen percent saying, "I am saving money for it." That's where I am. I'm like, well, you know, yes, I can't afford it right now, but I am working on it. I am squirreling money away. So, how about you, Michael? What?
1: Well, What's keeping you from the next bike? Yeah, I I could probably afford uh, my next dream bike. I'm sure I could, even though my income has been shaken up a little bit, as they say. Um, But that's not what gets in my way of of getting the dream bike. Mine is a a genetic thing. (laughs) It's called, I'm very deliberate. Mm -hmm. Um, I get this from my father. My father will take eons to pick out a new car. Some people could walk to the nearest auto mall right now and find their next car. My father would research and test drive and look and look, and I'm like him in that way. I like to, especially when it comes to a big move, like a dream bike move, like a bike I really want to, to do a lot or be a lot for me or, or be something that's going to be around for a while. I, I've, I've gone out and just grabbed bikes before that for, for need my Roubaix is a good example. I have a specialized Roubaix. Yeah. I knew I wanted the bike. I knew exactly how I would use it. I knew that was the machine for me, and I grabbed it. It was an easy purchase. Mm-hmm. But a dream bike, something that, that I want to do, a num- You know, I want this bike to perform in a number of ways. I want it to be a certain thing to me. Um That I'm going to take more time with, and and that's why I'm I've got the deliberate gene, as I call it, for my father, and I'll be looking and looking.
0: Well, I think um, a lot what of what us. Like. I I know for sure I am like that as well, and I don't know if it's a genetic thing, but I do think that the dream part is really an important part yeah. of the dream bike that. If 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 uh, like the example you say of going and picking up a Roubaix, you know it's a good bike that has that serves a very uh, commonly wanted need, and it's a, a good looking bike, and it's you know it's a good value. But you mm-hmm. know you, you would pick it up in the same way that you picked up a Honda Accord, right? It's, right. Mm-hmm. It, it's a great great bike that serves a big chunk of the uh, ch- chunk of the population. Yep. But. Everyone has their top right corner of you know, cost and desirability that they are, you know fantasizing about. And for that, the dreaming part is really,, uh, I think, you know, 90 percent of the fun, right? The obtaining it, um, you know, going to love that moment, of course, but uh, thinking about exactly what. It is going to be. is kind of a lot of fun. And that actually takes us to one of the next big questions, and that is how customized is your dream bike? Um, 21% of the people who replied uh, were looking at an off-the-rack or straight out of the catalog with a couple of small changes. But – and then uh, there were about 21% who were saying – you know off the rack but with many changes different wheels upgraded parts and so forth about a quarter of you were saying i want to start with a manufactured frame uh but i want to completely spec out the bike myself i kind of fit into that one i'm you know i'm thinking a lot about the felt fr but if i'm going to get that i want to get it you know, really specced out with NV wheels and you know, I'm thinking about you know the SRAM DI2 or SRAM DI two <laughs> <laughs> shimano DI two, you know, the new SRAM DI two. You guys haven't heard about that? We should do an episode on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it <laughs> and then uh and then uh there's about a third of you, 31%, who are saying, I want to go completely custom. And that's so that's the biggest chunk completely custom frame built specifically for me i choose everything on it so you know that's the dreamiest i would say of the dream bikes where you were thinking about every little thing so a pretty uh pretty pretty interesting segmentation there
1: yeah fascinating stuff I, I would take it if my dream bike came off a shelf or came out of a, a an asian uh factory Um, I'd be fine with that. As long as it does what I Mm -hmm. envision it doing, what I feel like it should do, I'm fine either way. I think my dream bike is not going to come from that realm, though. It'll probably be at the hands of somebody, a craftsman, who listens to me and says, okay, here's what we're going to do. But I'm fine either way. Yeah. Um, and And as far as parts go, as long as it specs, I guess I've lowered my bar a little bit on, on, on parts a little bit. I've opened my mind to – I rode some 105 this past summer and went, wow, this stuff works really good. It what, does. What's what's wrong with this? There's really nothing wrong. So I'm not – I figure over time um, I could change a set of bars or rotate out a set of wheels. Sure. And if my bike came complete, if my dream bike came complete and it had something on there I was indifferent about, or I'd ride it for whatever and then and make that change later. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So the, a, a fun question I asked, and I let people choose multiple options on this one is how would this dream bike affect your riding? Uh, with the question, with the options that I put in here is I'd ride more often. I'd ride faster and or further. I'd ride in more or different places and I'd enjoy riding more. And my riding buddies would envy me. Guess what was the least chosen option of those?
2: My buddies would envy me.
0: Yes, that is correct. With only 16.5% people choosing that. Guess what was the most chosen option?
2: I'd enjoy Uh, riding more.
0: Yeah, more. Yep, you guys are 100% uh, Mm -hmm. so far. Okay, so what was the second most chosen option? If you can even remember the options at this uh, point. Like ride different more.
1: places? Yeah.
0: Faster or further, actually, came in uh, second. Oh. So everyone was Oops. welcome to choose as many of these options as they want, but I'd enjoy yeah. riding more was thirty six and a half percent. And I'd ride faster and or further was the other reason. Thirty two and a half percent. So, you know, pretty close to each other on that one. Mm. So um yeah.
2: Now
1: one and there question. Was, for there you. was a category that said different places, right? There was one.
0: Yeah, I'd write in more or different places, and that was a twenty-nine percent of you chose that.
1: So that may have been me. I can't remember how I answered that one. Well,
0: you, you, you probably <laughs> chose more than one, is my guess. Most people did. Yeah, I did. Um, so, um, I did a few questions, uh, or I, I wanted to get some demographic uh, info, but I thought people would start thinking that this was going to be a marketing type survey if I started collecting, you know, gender, age, income type questions. And so I just went with one demographic piece, and that is your age. I left income and gender out of it altogether. But I did ask what, you know, you know, what age are you? And this kind of gives you a sense of, uh, you know, since there is a self-selecting aspect to this, of what the age of Red Kite Prayer and FatCyclist.com readers and PaceLine listeners are. And guess how many of our readers or listeners are under 20?
2: Uh, none <laughs> damn near zero percent that's yeah. right.
0: <laughs> were there any um, it does the, we don't show up on the pie graph. I'm sure there were a couple I, you know out of 1400 yeah. there was bound to be someone um, who probably okay. accidentally you know who accidentally clicked that button 20 to 24 a very small uh, slice of the pie like five percent. Um, we we start hitting our sweet spot at the 30 to 39, 40 to 49 and 50 to 59 with a good size chunk, about 10% being 60 or older as well. So our readers keep writing uh, well past, uh, you know, well past their sixth decade. So that's very cool. Very cool. Mm -hmm. And I I did some cross tabbing against that Um, because I was very curious, very curious about um, age and bikes. Right. (laughs) So, um, Guess how many people? And so I I asked people how many bikes they have, and I tabulated that against age, and kind of a cool effect is basically everyone One per decade. Um, well, it, 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 that's that's not quite it. Across all across all ages, everyone is way most likely to have between two and four bikes. literally 0% in the 20 to 24 age group had more than 10 bikes. That was interesting to me. Okay. Mm -hmm. They, with only a very, very slim number of them having between eight and 10. The where you start having more than 10 bikes as a serious percentage, that starts happening when you get people who are older than 50. And I think what that means is that once you get past, you know, into your late 40s and 50s, you stop bothering to sell your bikes. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> you need a garage sale. Uh-huh. That that y- you just, you're like, well, do I want to get rid of it? No. Do I, I mean, do I have to get rid of it? No, I have, I can afford to get another bike without selling this one. And so you start having accumulation effects. It's not that mm-hmm. you need more than 10 bikes. It's that you just... Also want another bike, and so you start winding up with an accidental collection. Kind of fun stuff.
2: Because um, two more hooks is only six bucks. That's
0: right. <laughs> that's right. And I, I went ahead and cross-tabbed age against how soon till you get your dream bike and Things were pretty widely distributed regardless of the age. However, as you get older, there's a better chance that you are already buying or about to buy your dream bike. In other words, your income or disposable income, available income, obviously affects how soon you're going to get your bike. But when you hit sixty plus, you tend to start thinking more about keeping your old bike until it dies. The likelihood of that doubles. That um, you know, before then, you know, in even all the way up to the fifty-nine year old groups, you know, people are likely to be getting rid of their bikes. before they get their next one once you hit 60 you just want to keep that you know you develop affection for the bike maybe but you keep it you're going to keep it till it dies also when you're 60 or older your chance of being in the process of buying a bike right now goes way down your sort of enthusiasm to be like i got to have this now as opposed to a year from now or whenever it kind of drops so kind of interesting there too so
2: now, one question: Wasn't there some some question in there about uh, type, style, you know, format of bike?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Here, let's uh, let's go to that one. Um, there it is. What kind of bike are you dreaming about? And so the options there were road bike, mountain bike, commuter, or urban bike, tandem, recumbent, e bike foldable, transportable, and highly purpose-specific, like a track or time trial or BMX bike. Foolishly, I left off um, the adventure bike or gravel bikes or whatever kind of bike you want to call it there. So my mistake, and I, I, I regret that. But um, guess what was actually one of very few questions that had a majority response? And guess what number got 55%? Or which answer got 55 percent?
1: Uh, I mean, road would seem the obvious answer. Yes, yeah.
0: that is correct. 55 mm-hmm. percent of you are dreaming about a road bike, and uh, the next
1: biggest, a- as you'd expect, would be mountain. Oh, fatty, bike. That's probably where the adventure bike dreamers went. They probably yeah. went to road, yeah, since yeah. drop bar. I you think know, so. If you wanted to cro- if your dream bike's a cross bike or an adventure bike, you just end up in road bike. Mm-hmm.
0: And guess what mountain, uh, what percentage wound up with mountain bike?
2: Oh, uh. I don't know, 25%.
0: Yeah. 23. So you're really close. Mm-hmm. Guess what percentage were e-bike or foldable slash transportable?
1: Oh.
2: Cool. I'm just hoping I'd for say... north of 10%.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying under.
0: Yeah. E-bikes got 0.6%. Oh, Very
2: wow.
0: Very few of you are dreaming about an e-bike. Very few of you. Same thing again, with re- I'm out
2: at the shallow end of the bell curve.
0: People are not super stoked about recumbents, e-bikes or foldable transportables, although foldable transportable did a little bit better than the others, but there's still tiny little slices of the pie. Wow, maybe five to 10 percent mm-hmm. of you no about and the, the slices are small enough here that in the uh, pie chart I'm looking at right now, you are looking at under um, you know about five percent. For these really specific track or time trial or BMX bikes, that's not what people dream about. You get those for a purpose, but not because you are necessarily in love with the bike itself.
2: Interesting. Yeah,
0: it was a lot of fun. We had to do another survey. Let's ask. Let's yeah. ask our listeners. What should we ask about? You. We've got all these people who <laughs> love bikes. <laughs> what do you want to know? We're going to take a what survey. What do you want to know about to your peers? Survey. Yeah. <laughs> a poll of surveys. <laughs> it's going to be the ultimate bicycle meta That's, survey. Yeah, it's so that meta. So bureaucratic.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, it would be fun to survey them for like uh, you know, where they would like to go on a bike tour. Hmm. Yeah.
0: There you go. Bike vacation survey. Yeah, where to ride.
1: Yeah. There's gotta be something there.
0: I like the idea of a bike vacation survey. A lot of okay. questions. I would I wouldn't mind. Okay, so maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do that sometime yeah. soon. Okay. So cool, Fatty.
1: There we go. First, that was fun. First paceline survey. We've got to do something with that data. Let's sell that data. Oh, do yeah. something with that. That's <laughs> actually good stuff. I mean, that's well, and I, with, I would I could see somebody in the industry being interested in in that information there, too. I know so
2: just the stuff. guys. Uh and, yeah. and it's interesting. I mean, with fourteen hundred respondents, that's that's a really serious yeah. home run relative to the bike industry. That's a yeah. huge yep. response.
0: Yeah. Fair a a fair sample. number of uh, responses there
1: all right we'll keep dreaming but we're gonna have to move on for now uh we have updates coming up on a couple of us severely injured riders that we know personally and we have our pace line picks paceline the podcast on two wheels, fatty of fatcyclist.com Patrick Brady, redkiteprayer.com. I am Michael Hotton. We want to guys update a, a couple of uh, situations with rider health, a couple of guys we know who have uh, had some crashes um, and we've talked about briefly here on the pace line The first is Steve Tilford who we told you about he had a bad crash in Kansas uh, during a group ride, went down hard, hit his head, cracked his skull open. Yes, was not wearing a helmet, Um, but more importantly, we wanted to update you on Steve's health. Um, Steve is struggling. Uh, He wrote this on his blog. I am not getting better. Worse is more like it. I have slept over four hours, two nights straight now, but after I awake, I'm pretty pitiful, and it takes an hour to just to get bearable or just to get get his wherewithals. He says he's hoping to turn a corner soon, or better yet, just do a U-turn and leave the head injury loop he's in behind. He says he's not really doing anything other than listening to NPR and laying around with his eyes shut. So we're still, you know, Steve, get better, buddy. Um, I know this is a tough road, and and a lot of people are focused on, you know, the helmet situation. But first and foremost, we want to see him get better. He is home. Yeah. Um, there That's are a pictures great sign. Of him. Yeah, he is home. He's making doctor's appointments. Uh, he has been out in public and, and been out with his friends a couple of times. Um, so there are good signs. I think, you know, if you read the blog, you might get a little down based on his, what he's writing, but it's a tough road. I mean, he's, you know, he's hurt bad and this is not going to be easy. Um, and, and you know what? He has been open guys about the crash, at least about showing what can happen. If you're not wearing a helmet, he has posted pictures on his blog site Mm. from the crash scene of him on the ground. So, wow. yeah, I'm going to pass not? Yeah, if you want to see what happens when you're not wearing a helmet and you go down, Steve is, has been sharing that on his blog site. So, get well, Steve. Wishing the best. Uh, Patrick, a small but important bike maker, has received some good news about uh, one of its leaders. Yeah.
2: Uh, so, Robert Choi, uh, one of the two founders and the CEO of Volaji Bicycles, uh, best remembered for its tussle with specialized. Um, Robert uh, was hit by a car uh, while out on a training ride after work one day. Um, It was pretty touch and go. There were some very serious concerns that we were going to lose him. He was in a coma. Um, He has since come out of the coma. Uh, He is eating on his own. And uh, just recently, just a couple days ago, a video was posted of him at a long-term acute care facility uh, using a walker to walk. Um, So... You know he's he's still got a long way to go, but I mean this is so much better than where he was when we last mentioned this on the show. He's come mm-hmm. an awful long way. You know, yeah, he's still got a long way to go, but uh, this is tremendous progress for him. We're really glad to see it.
1: Mm-hmm. I think Falagi was one of the first bikes I ever first road bikes I ever saw with disc brakes on it. Yeah, um, and yeah. Now the company, I think the company has put things on hold while. While right. Mr. Choi gets better, right? You know.
2: Yeah, operations are on hold. They weren't sure if he was ever going to be able to return to work. Um, he's not yet at a point where he's able to work. Um, but, you know, he's, he's on a really great road. It's not going to be, you know Perfect linear progress every day, uh, but he's already passed a couple of really important milestones. So I think there's ample reason to believe that Velagi will be uh, able to resume operations in the not too distant future.
1: Hmm. Cool. All right. Best wishes to the Velagi family, too. Um, Okay. Now, paceline picks. Uh, This is where we tell you about good stuff or bad stuff we have come across. Personal recommendations of sorts, paceline. Picks. Fatty, lead us off this this time.
0: All right, I got a great one here. Uh, most everyone who rides and thinks about women in cycling knows of Catherine Bertine. She was the one who uh, directed and uh, essentially paid for the terrific documentary Half the Road. Uh, she's the uh, she's a pro cyclist with Silence who just overcame a pretty serious injury herself. She's a terrific rider. Um, and she is retiring at the end of this year, and she is is launching a new foundation called the Homestretch Foundation. And I love the idea of it. It's a simple, practical uh, charity which is designed to assist low-income female professional athletes With free housing, and I don't know a ton about it yet, but I just looking at it, it looks like she is putting together a house in Tucson, Arizona, where uh, women pro cyclists can train during the winter for free, and the the foundation's job is to raise money to essentially keep this house up, give uh, pro pro women cyclists a place to live and train. Uh, during the winter, in a, you know a place that's you know well known for being a terrific uh, winter training mm-hmm. spot, um, and then you know there's a some sub topics there with um, she's working to eradicate salary inequity. Uh, teaching their members to become activists to create change, uh, provide opportunities for their members. And I'm obviously just reading her uh, <laughs> her her uh, web page. So okay. I, I'll stop mm-hmm. here and say go to homestretchfoundation.org, uh, donate a few bucks. This is a terrific cause, a real practical one for a person who has made uh, a life out of doing the right thing.
1: And we'll have a link too on RKP at the at the bottom of the post for uh, the on this episode of the payson. So check there too if you forget the uh, if you get if you forget the the URL that fatty just gave you. Yep. Uh, mine uh, takes on a more a serious tone than I've had in the past, and I'm going to start with a few stats, guys. Fifty uh, percent of men in Australia, and I presume for most part of the world, have suffered. Mental illness. One in eight men suffer depression. One in five suffer anxiety. Eight people commit suicide daily in Australia. Five of them are men. It is why Black Sheep Clothing, along with Stinner Bikes out of Santa Barbara, commissioned a short film called The Man Ride. It is beautifully made. Lots of well-set-up shots of the Australian outback. Great use of drones to capture the small group of guys riding in remote areas of Australia. Yes, there are plenty of product placements for black sheep clothing and bikes, but there's also an important message about mental health. Uh, here's a clip from the film called The Man Ride.
0: When my wife left me after eight years, um, and my dad had passed away. He'd only been gone for maybe five months, and... That was just, I just, I seriously thought my life was fucking done. Hey. All of a sudden, you know, you've, you've just got to look and you've got friends around you and you need to talk. You need to talk. And I was very lucky that I had those friends around me to get me through and to pull me through. And now my life is, could not be better. You know, it's incredible.
1: Uh, the, film's, uh, the film's website also has resources for people struggling with mental health issues and suggestions on how exercise, friendship, and openness can prevent a tragic and irreversible choice. So check it out. It's called The Man Ride. And uh, if nothing else, it's a beautiful film just to watch um, as a, a, a small group of guys makes their way across Australia by bike, of course. All right, Patrick. Feel free to lighten us up or enlighten us. If <laughs> yeah, mine's a,
2: a little little lighter take on things. Uh, ASOS has uh, collaborated with uh, Divine uh, Cycling Tours uh, to create an event coming up uh, here in Sonoma County in just a couple of weeks called the Campionissimo. Um, and it's uh, a week's worth of riding out of Healdsburg. Um Divine has done some tours here in the past, I understand. And so they're going to be leading a number of rides every day. There's going to be, um, you know, a Piccolo uh, up to 40 miles, then a medio 40 to 65 miles, and a uh, Grande. And uh, it'll be up to 110 miles in length. And, uh, of course, the climbing amounts will vary. Um, this is going to be a really neat and different opportunity Uh, to see Sonoma County for people who haven't had a chance to ride here much other than maybe just doing Levi's Fondo Um, because it's going to be group rides and running out of Healdsburg it's going to take in a lot of roads that you know people who visited here may not have seen Uh, so it's a pretty neat event Uh, it's easy to find on the Divine site we'll include a link um,
1: and I will be going up uh, to join them for a few of those rides. Cool it's unbelievable how many events there are now in the months of like late October and November. The calendar, not, not race. I mean, racing clearly is done, but the calendar is so full right now of good things to go out and do. Yeah. Um, pretty amazing stuff. So, cool. Uh, have have a good ride, Patrick. Uh, enjoy the falling leaves. It'll be yeah. nice. Fatty, uh, back to you. What is happening with FatCyclist.com?
0: Believe it or not, I am just getting started with my crusher in the tusher, race report from back in july It has been <laughs> such a crazy summer and i always find myself uh thinking i want to write this race report but then something new will happen and i'm like well i'll write about this thing that just happened while well, it's fresh in my mind it's not like the crusher is getting less fresh at this point it's mm-hmm. um what i remember is pretty permanent at this point so oh honest folks i will get that written
1: no, it's actually well timed because i I'm starting to think about next year 2017 events i mean um and what other and crusher has been on my bucket list for a number of years, so oh awesome it's 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 always usable information fatty especially coming from you Come out a couple of days and, early.
0: we'll do some riding here in utah let me right. let me show you that. some of my uh some of my favorite rides corner canyon Ooh. I would love to show you Corner canyon
1: and the alpine loop okay. okay. And Patrick, pictures of you in cruise wear on RKP. Anything else?
2: (laughs) No, no pictures in cruise wear. But yes, uh, there'll be... uh, there will be some material on uh, the the Corsica trip coming, uh, as well as I've got other bike reviews that are finally coming into uh, the the port, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. Like Fatty, I've got a bike review that I've been working on since May that I'm trying <laughs> to get finished. Um, so uh, hopefully I'll have that up in the next week or so.
1: Awesome. Uh, the Pace Line can be found on the pages of Red Kite Prayer, show notes, and links above and below the player that is posted for each episode. And, of course, room for your comments. Paceline Line can also be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music. Subscribe and share, we say. Anything else, boys? We're all done here? No. Thanks for listening. It's a show. All right. Cool. Excellent. Let's go for a ride. Be safe. Be kind to each other. And we'll talk to you next time on The Pace Line.
2: Sliced chestnuts um, and little pieces of, of bacon.